0: Another one of the great pieces of advice I got early in my speaking career was just don't be a jerk. Be kind to the banquet staff, to the audio visual team, to the MC, to the bellman, to the other speakers, to the front desk person, to the Uber driver, to the person miking you up, to the camera operator, to the lighting guy. Listen, you're going to come into contact with so many people and you are only as pretty as you treat them. So be kind this is a Soulfire production. You're listening to episode 121, 121 of Yes And With Me, your host, Judy Holler. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at AdvoCare. They are on a mission to support... You and your health needs with high vibe supplements, resources, and products. And guess what, baby? We got a code. Use YESAND15. That's YESAND15. Every time you shop to get discounts and support this podcast when you do. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Yo, I'm so glad you're here. If you're new here, welcome to the party. Uh, if you're not new here, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. And I I gotta say, I really cherish you. I, as an avid podcast listener myself, I know how precious it is to spend your time with the podcasts you love, the podcasts that empower you, the podcasts that entertain you, the podcasts that push you, the podcasts that get your mind off the fucking craziness in the world. And the fact that you think my podcast is one of those podcasts, yo. I see you, I hear you, I receive it, and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you you know, last week I finished a book. I finished, um, I got a stack of books. Oh my God. I got so many books to get through. And I got off my game for a minute. Like at night before bed, I read fiction. I watch shows like Maisel. I'll go back through Mad Men. Anybody else a Madman? Oh my God, John Hamm. Can you even, and he was just on smart list by the way, one of my favorite podcasts. I'll link up to that episode anyway. Uh, so like I'll watch shows, I'll watch stand up. I'll do fiction. It get, 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 gets my mind off the world. Um, and I usually do my personal development to sort of begin my day, um, or I'll break with it at lunch. And, you know, of course, sometimes I'll read personal development in the evening, but sometimes I stay out of it because it gets me thinking about work. It gets me thinking about my work. So, um, I have gotten behind, and I finished a personal development book that I have been meaning to finish, and it's a book called Stillness is... The Key, An Ancient Strategy for Modern Life by the incredible Ryan Holiday, one of my favorite authors. And just like all of Ryan's books, it was, of course, incredible and thought provoking and inspired me to sort of seek out more peace in my life. And I've got to share something with you that he wrote on page 201 because it's really the essence, the essence of the work I do, the essence of the work we're doing in House of And, what we're creating, and most importantly, it, it really validated and reaffirmed the importance of preparation and laying a strong foundation in your life so that whatever you're building has strong legs to stand upon. Ryan writes this, isn't the whole point of greatness that you're freed from the trivial rules and regulations that you could do whatever you want? Ah. But see, the greats know that complete freedom is actually a nightmare. They know that order is a prerequisite of excellence and that in an unpredictable world, good habits are a safe haven of certainty. It was Eisenhower who defined freedom as the opportunity for self-discipline. In fact, freedom and power and success actually require self-discipline because without it, chaos and complacency move in. Discipline then is how we maintain that freedom. It is also how we get in the right headspace to do our work. Well, shit. <laughs> uh Ryan dropped the mic right there and there were so many mic drops in that book but I loved that because see listen our house of ant methodology begins with preparation which is all about laying a strong foundation and this is why it's control when you have none it's certainty in an uncertain world it's a set of keys you can grab to open new doors it's a skill set you can call upon when you find yourself in a dark place and in our House of Ann Monthly Mentorship, yo, this is what we're doing. We are helping you build good habits that are a safe haven of certainty in a world that is so wild and unpredictable. And the best part is that you don't have to do it alone. You'll have a community of like-minded people who are also ready to kick open new doors and build a strong foundation. We do it together. I walk with you because like you, I'm scared too. I get frustrated and I feel uncertain all the time. So if you are not a member of our house of And community, our mentorship, yo, I invite you to check us out. I'd love to see your face every month in our live classes, live classes and live office hours. We're also going to start hosting members only, live house parties around the country with me, yours truly, and members of our community. I'm also inviting members onto the podcast so you could get a chance to share your story of transformation right here on the Yes and Airwaves. And for less than two bucks a day, yo, you can bring certainty into a World that feels certainly anything but that. You can build community and you can get access to the transformational power of and and our house of and mindset and methodology. So head on over to the show notes, learn more. Drop me a DM on Instagram with any of your questions. Send me an email to hello at judyholler.com. Talk to me. Let me know how I can best serve you. And most importantly, i Hope to see your beautiful, brave face inside the halls of our House of Ant Academy. Okay, so I was recently interviewed for a magazine that is doing a series on what it takes to be a successful speaker. And they're talking to different thought leaders and keynote speakers as they put together this content. And I was excited to be included and share my perspective. So as I was writing my answers, I said to Amanda on my team, I said, yo, this would make an awesome podcast episode because I think one of the questions I get asked a lot on repeat is, oh, how do I call my nerves? How do I be a better speaker? How do I be a speaker? Uh, When I get a chance to speak, what do I do? How do I feel less afraid? (laughs) All the things, right? How do I stop myself from feeling like I want to throw up, right? I'm so nervous, right? So um, one of the questions in this interview that I had to answer is what are your five things, like the five things you need to be a highly effective public speaker? So I was also tasked with sharing an example for each tip I had. So guess what? I'm repurposing some content because it was too good not to share with you. So this episode is going to share with you my answers to those questions and hopefully provide you with some insight and inspo so you, my dear, can become a more effective public speaker. Okay, so first things first, you got to have a great speech, babe. You got to have a good speech. Um, This is first and foremost, and it may take you some time. You'll have to kiss a few frogs, meaning you're going to have to have some bad speeches uh, in order to test out your content and see what lands and see what sticks and see what works and see what doesn't. This is why... In the world of speaking, professionally speaking, starting before you're ready is so important. Um, I put out and delivered so much free content to the teams I led in my corporate job at the time at industry events, in association meetings, in blogs, in articles, on social media. And it was all really one big chemistry lab for me, where I was sort of DJing out my content and testing it out. And while I was doing that, I was getting feedback. I was listening to the questions that came up. I was getting more confident and courageous in delivering said content, which ultimately has made me a better speaker and performer. So at the beginning, my fee started at free because I was learning and I was testing and I was in the lab. I was a scientist, right? I was working on my material, right? I had my content in little beakers and I was testing things out, making it better so that I could get to the place where I was able to charge for my content. So a good speech is critical and it begins at the beginning. So begin, right? Start before you're ready. Start testing out content. And when writing your talk, let me give you some of my favorite tools. My goodness, I could teach a whole course on this and you know what? Maybe someday I will. Would you want that? Let me know. Um, But Yo, I have so many ideas here. I mean, I've spent well over a decade writing and delivering speeches to thousands and thousands of people. So there are things that work and things that don't. So one of the tools I use when I go to write any new keynote, which I just did, I just wrote a new talk called The Transformational Power of and Unlock Your Potential. Call me if you want to book it for your organization. I'd love to bring it to you. It's super dope and I'm so proud of it. But I always begin with Tamsin Webster's Red Threads. Red strategy. So I'm going to link up to Tamsin in the show notes. Her incredible book. Um, I use her framework for every keynote I write. I've been using it for for years, and I've worked with her privately as well. So I'm going to link up in the show notes. But she's literally an idea whisperer. Uh, She's got lots of experience in the TED community and can really help you organize your ideas in a way that makes your talks highly effective. So. Tamsin is one of my secret weapons. Uh, number two, when I think of writing a speech, this is a great piece of advice I got. Your talks should sort of match the algorithm of an EKG machine, right? Measuring heartbeats. So one of my early mentors in the speaking business told me that 50% of your audience is going to learn with their heart and the other 50% of your audience is going to learn with their heads. So your job is to design a talk and find research and tell stories that sort of bounce between both so that at the end of your talk, you've got like heartbeats. You're going to bring them up and you're going to bring them down. you bring them up, bring them down, bring them up, bring them down. You're going to bounce between the head and the heart. And then personally, I always love opening with a story, a story that really illuminates the essence of where we're about to go, the, the journey I'm about to take the participants on, and then I come back around to it at the end to sort of like wrap it up in a bow and call back to the beginning. We love callbacks in the improv theater, right? It's like so surprising. It's such a delight when people remember things that happened like many minutes ago and many hours ago, right? Um, so I just think it's something that delights audiences and makes them feel Uh, The talk was really well thought out front to end and you're sort of wrapping it up in one big hot pink bow for them, right? Reminding them where you started, right? And this sort of walks me right into my second tip and tool and key for great public speaking and that is number two, uh, preparation, okay? Someone once told me that how much you prepare shows how much you respect your audience, we've all we've all been in these presentations where the salesperson or the presenter was not prepared it is literally uncomfortable to be in that room to sit in that audience right they're clearly winging it which is completely annoying frankly really hard to watch and in my opinion so fucking rude right don't waste my time um and it shows You know, listen, I don't care enough about you to rehearse my shit, to know my shit. So therefore, your participants and your audience will check out because they can feel that you're checked out, right? So preparation is everything. By the time I put any keynote onto a stage, I've rehearsed it probably a hundred times. Even my everyday improviser keynote, which is the signature keynote I've been delivering for five years plus. um, And it's iterated over those five years. And it's a little different every time I put it on stage because I've got improv, which is always different. And every group is different. Um, But the curriculum, the core curriculum is the same. The ideas are the same, but I still rehearse it before I put it on stage at least three to five times, even if I've delivered it hundreds and hundreds of times to thousands and thousands of people. I work on my pace, I work on my positioning, I work on my timing. Maybe I tell a story a little bit differently. Maybe I add a new story. Uh, I rehearse the way I click through the slides and the way I run my talk with presenter notes and without presenter notes. And I know that I've got the talk in my heart when I don't need my notes. I can deliver it to a wall with just the slide. Usually I'm delivering it to my dogs. Um, And while I have like the notes on my downstage monitor in a big keynote room, tech can go down at any point. And trust me, it has happened to me on multiple occasions. So make sure you know your shit. It's how you're going to get through those moments. And my final thought here on preparation, key number two and being a good presenter, the big misnomer about the improv theater is that because we're improvisers, We wing it and that we just sort of go with the flow. And while that's true and while I'm flexible, the reason I can go with the flow, the reason I can move forward confidently without tech when AV crashes, if my slides go down, is because I've done the work it's because I'm prepared. The reason improvisers make it look seamless on stage is because we, we use our training to move through the discomfort. Same on a keynote stage. Rehearsals, having notes, having backup notes, having an outline on the lectern. All of these things are sort of my warm blanket of comfort when I'm on stage, when shit goes down, when I lose tech or when I blank out. Uh, because I know I've got plan A, plan B, and plan C. But most importantly, I I'm well rehearsed and I know my shit. So you are hired and paid money to deliver a talk. And that's your number one job, to deliver the talk, despite your discomfort, despite tech difficulties, despite losing power, despite you having the flu. True story. So know your shit, know your content, but protect your machine, your moneymaker, which is your body and your ability to perform as well. Treat your content and your rehearsals as important as booking the job and delivering the content on the day of event and you can't lose. Okay, speaking of things you need to be highly effective and to be a highly effective public speaker, well, the obvious is your health. Because let me tell you, when you feel like shit, you're going to perform like shit. And besides working out and drinking lots of water, supplements help me keep my head and my health in the game so I can rock it. With confidence. So while I'm sharing my top five things you need to do, let me tell you that a speech feels so much better when you look good and feel good. So making sure that I'm taking the right supplements helps me supplement what my body is missing. Because while I try to eat good, most of the time, I'm not perfect. And according to science, most of us aren't, which is why supplements are even a thing. They supplement what your body is missing. And AdvoCare's supplements are my fave they can help you do lots of things from boosting collagen to getting your gut in check to managing your mood all things I'm down for so make sure you check out Advocare in our show notes not only to support this podcast every time you shop but get 15% off every time you do use yes and one five that's yes and 15 every time you shop for discounts okay back to the show Okay, tip number three, let's address the nerves because we're all gonna get nervous. Even me who does this professionally for a living, I still get nervous. Early in my career, I heard someone say, never trust a keynote speaker who isn't nervous. They're either lying dead inside, or they don't care. (laughs) And I've never forgotten that because of course you're going to be nervous. I mean, of course you care. You want to do well, right? And let me tell you, once you put your two little feet on the stage, once you were about 60 to 90 seconds into the beginning of your speech, which is why your beginning has to be so fucking strong and well-rehearsed, because it really helps you come out of the game hot and really confident, and you begin to forget fear and get into the magic of flow state. So there are some things you can do, and I specifically want to highlight uh, what I call my pregame ritual, which is critical. So what you do in the minutes and hours before your talk really determines its success. So number one, you get booked for a talk, and you're like, oh my God, what do I do? Number one, congrats, you earned your spot on that stage. Number two, the bad news is that you can't stop the nerves. But number three, the good news is that you can reframe them and make friends with it. You can make your nerves your homeboy. Absolutely. So here's some ways you can do that. Number one, stop telling yourself you're nervous and start telling yourself you're excited. Your brain doesn't know the difference. So tell it a new story. Say thank you. Say thank you. Have gratitude for the gift of being able to make an impact and share your story with the world. Remember that the nerves mean You're alive, babe. Is there any other way to be? Never forget the fact that no one cares about you as much as they care about themselves. So give them so much gold and realize you are there to serve and not perform. Another thing that helps me with my nerves is I always anchor scary things, whether it's a speech or a doctor's appointment or whatever I've got going on, a tough call I need to make with a fun treat. On the other side. So I anchor the scary thing with something awesome. So treat yourself to something after the talk and look forward to that. And look forward to that reward happening once you finish. So if I'm traveling, I'm on the road, and maybe I book a massage or I have a great glass of champagne or I treat myself to a cozy dinner for one, like whatever it is. Anchor the scary thing with something awesome on the other side. And it gives you something to look forward to. Oh, and last but not least here, before I get on any stage. I do three things in the 10 minutes before I have to speak, okay? Number one, and you pick the song that works for you, but I listen to Unstoppable by Sia. That is my song. It puts me in such a great mental state. It is so empowering. It is just my song. It is my jam. And I've been using it for years. And while I'm listening to Sia, I am standing in a power pose. Uh, You can Google power pose. We'll link up in the show notes. There is a lot of scientific research around the power of a power pose. It literally changes your energetic state. So while I'm listening to Sia, I'm in my power pose. And I'm doing this for about two and a half, three minutes. It's as long as the song Unstoppable, and sometimes I'm doing this in the bathroom stall. Sometimes I'm doing this backstage, right? Uh, sometimes I'm doing this in a green room. Get get yourself where you need to get yourself, but do it. And then the last thing I do before I walk up onto the stage is I tell myself I love myself. Like I love you. You got this. Like no matter what happens up there, you are gonna be okay because you. Are okay. This is why self love is so critical. We always come back home to who we are, and we cannot tie our self worth to the opinions that people may have to our work, and to the ideas we share in the world, right? So those are the three things I'm doing in, in those final moments before I hit the stage. Okay, last, let me add one more caveat here. Um, and this is big. Don't look at your emails before I talk. Same with your DMs, etc. Like I made this mistake once and I got terrible news 30 minutes before I had to take the stage in front of 2,500 people and it 100% jacked me up in all the wrong ways. Um, So now (laughs) I don't do that anymore. Everyone closest to me, my husband, Amanda on my team knows when my keynotes are. They know when I'm going to be on stage. They know when I have a talk. So if some bad news comes in, Amanda's going to hold those emails back or they're not going to call me or text me until after the talk, whether it's personally or professionally, like I protect those hours before my talk. Like, A mad woman, right? Because here's the deal. I'm going to find out when I get off the stage. Uh, I don't need to find out before a public appearance. So I protect myself in those hours leading up to the talk. So I slap my phone in airplane mode. Everybody knows I'm about to go on stage. No one worries about me when they can't get a hold of me because they know I am in airplane mode, getting my head in the game for the talk. All right, number four, thick skin, baby. You're gonna have to have thick skin uh, to work in any public capacity and you've really gotta work on your confidence. You're gonna have to work on movement, right? You're going to have to keep moving forward despite someone getting up and leaving, despite hecklers, despite people talking and laughing and being disruptive, despite the one woman you can't stop looking at who has massive resting bitch face, despite someone not getting it, despite a bad review, it happens. And there are people in this world, listen, that do not like dogs. They literally hate dogs. And they will trash talk in the comments section on the most magical dog post you can imagine. If someone can hate on God's most perfect creature, well, then someone at some point is not going to like you, babe. Okay? The way you look, the way you talk, the way you think, the music you listen to, right? Somebody's gonna, not going to like it. And while it's rare, most of the time, your keynote speaking audiences are going to be high vibe and loving because you have high vibe loving clients, right? Um but sometimes you're going to have to deal with difficult people. So I, I remind you of this. And I also want you to beware misreading cues. So I want to tell you a story that will help you get out of your head and back into your work. So one of the things I do um, when I am on stage delivering a keynote is I latch on to a table or a person or, um, or a group of people on my left, in the middle, and on the right, right? So I have, like, some good energy in the room to sort of reassure me and, you know, feed my energy and help me calm my nerves, right? These are the people that are, like, leaning in and head nodding and smiling and happy and excited. And then, every now and then, you're going to lock eyes with Miss Resting Bitch Face. And when you lock eyes with her, you're going to instantly think that you are the corn in her poop. You are going to think that you are shit and you're going to think that she hates you and that she can't wait for you to get off the stage. And you will think that maybe there's toilet paper hanging out of your pants or something because she is just not feeling you. This happened to me one time. I kept locking eyes with Miss Resting Bitch Face. And instead of trying to focus the energy on the table of girls to my left who were total head nodders, I kept obsessing over her, right? So I got through the talk. And then after the talk, there was this line at the front of the stage. You know, people were lined up to take selfies and do a book signing. And it was so much fun, right? I love doing that. And so I noticed that in the line... Right towards the front are the happy girls, um, and then I also noticed that Miss Resting Bitchface was in the line, and I was like, "Oh no, oh no, what's she gonna say to me?" So I take all the selfies. The line is moving. I do all the selfies with the girls that are the happy head nodders and all the other people. And towards the end of the line is Miss Resting Bitchface, who proceeds to come up to me, grab my hands, and tell me this: "I lost my daughter." A couple of years ago. And I have been feeling sorry for myself ever since. I've been waiting for someday when the pain subsides to start living my life again. And your talk reminded me that now is the time. And that I need to start living for her because that's what she'd want. And then she says to me, oh, I can't. She goes, you also remind me so much of her. Oh, like even right now. My eyes are stinging. (sighs) The tears started to flow for both her and I. Holy shit, right? Hold up though, the story doesn't end there. So the line ends and I gather my thoughts and I wipe my tears and the conference is moving on to breakouts and they're off to the rest of their day. So I go to the restroom and I hear while I'm in the restroom going number one, I hear familiar voices in the bathroom. The voices of my head nodders, all the girls from earlier who were first in line to snap selfies with me and wouldn't you know it baby, they were talking shit about me. I froze in the stall. I instantly felt like I was back in grade school. Um, I, I wanted to hide. I wanted to flush myself down the toilet. I wanted to walk out of there and tell them to fuck off. But I froze with fear and embarrassment and disbelief. What the... What the hell just happened? So like I waited like a big old Friday cat until the coast was clear and I got myself together and I checked out of the hotel and I got myself into an Uber back to the airport and I couldn't help but think about how wrong I had been, about what a beautiful lesson, what a beautiful gift I had just been given. Remember, no mistakes, only gifts. See, Miss Resting Bitch Face wasn't a bitch face at all. She was deep in something bigger than I could imagine processing the transformation she was moving through. And the overly happy girls to my left were clearly insecure and fake and and maybe not ready to hear what I had to say, even though they clearly needed it. So the moral of the story is never tie your self-worth to anything outside of yourself and never tie your self-worth to the perceptions other people may have about you or your work or your performance or your intellectual property because you do not know what is going on behind the scenes. Oh, and... Do not use the bathrooms in public space before or after a talk. Most of the time, there's a backstage or a green room, so I have a bathroom and I'll use that. And if there's no backstage or no green room, go to the restroom before you talk. Uh, Find a restroom on another floor, but keep yourself out of the mix in case you run into the wrong conversation. All right, tip number five. Last but certainly not least, you got to check your ego at the door. Check That ego at the door. And just because you don't get a standing ovation doesn't mean you did not win. Let's talk about this. Another one of the great pieces of advice I got early in my speaking career was just don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Be kind to the banquet staff, to the audio visual team, to the MC, to the bellman, to the other speakers, to the front desk person, to the Uber driver, to the person miking you up, to the camera operator, to the lighting guy. Listen, you're going to come into contact with so many people and you are only as pretty as you treat them. So be kind. Yes, you're going to deal with difficult people. Uh, People that annoy you, so put up your shit shield and let that bounce right off of you, but you got to keep moving, so be kind. Be easy to work with. Be prepared. Don't be late. Smile at people. Keep it light. Know your shit. You'd be surprised, audiovisual teams work all over the country with lots of different clients and meeting planners for one organization know a lot of other meeting planners. So as quickly as you could lose your job and get a bad reputation, you could also get a job because an audiovisual tech or a producer referred you to someone or a meeting planner calls her other meeting planner bestie and is like, oh my God, dude, you got to hire this girl. She crushed it and was so easy to work with. So be easy to work with. I was also once told by an early speech mentor that you're never as good as they say you are, but you're also never as bad. So keep that ego in check. And while we're talking about ego, let's address the standing ovation that I alluded to at the top of this point, because a lot of times I would... And you know what, frankly, sometimes I still do it. So I'm always reminding myself of this. Like I would ride my self-worth on the fact that if I didn't get a standing ovation, like that I was shit. Um, And that couldn't be further from the truth. They are incredible to receive. And I'm proud to say, baby, I get a lot of them, okay? But I also know that they don't really mean much because the science behind the energy of a standing ovation is really all about momentum. All it takes is one person to stand up, and it causes a ripple. So I could put my my dad in the front row and my dad stands up. Guess what? People're going to start standing up, right? Someone could have their staff in the front row and they're told to stand, so everybody else stands up, right? So, you know, it's all it's It's always awesome to get a standing ovation and while this isn't always the case and people aren't saying go stand up for me. It typically takes one brave person uh, brave enough to stand up in the first place to sort of inspire the rest of the group to stand up so I've never forgotten this and while they are incredible to receive it doesn't mean that you didn't do a good job if you don't get a standing ovation it just means that the first person wasn't afraid to stand for you or maybe there's a strange culture in the organization, there's a strange energy in the room, right? So, standing ovations aside, your number one job is to teach. It is to serve. It is to inspire a new way of thinking. Um, it It is about you sharing your ideas on the way you see the world to help them navigate their worlds a little bit better. And if an audience is so moved to stand for you, awesome. And if an audience isn't, still awesome. You'll never get everyone in the room. And if you aim for the people you don't have, you're going to miss serving the ones you do. And if you can change the life of one human being in the room, you've won. And it doesn't matter if your stage is 10,000 or 10, you show up. You come prepared, you deliver quality content, and you are kind to everyone, and you remember that you have deep gratitude for the gift of being able to do this work. So you gotta tell me, what was your biggest takeaway here? What did you learn? What didn't you know before this? episode? And what do you now know? And I'd also love to know, do you want to hear me talk more about professional speaking, public speaking, calming nerves, getting into the speaking business? Let me know. And I will certainly put that content together for you. I'm, I'm definitely considering doing a little bit more of it. Uh, so let me know what you think about this episode. I love Hearing from you, I love your ideas, comments, inspirations, suggestions, keep them coming. Uh, If you loved this episode in any capacity, share it with a friend who would love it too. Who do you know that wants to speak? Who do you know that needs uh a little momentum in the right direction as it relates to performance and putting themselves out there. Do you know someone who is building a keynote speaking business? My goodness, said this their way. I wish I would have had some of these ideas uh, 15 years ago when I was getting started. And yo, have you loved a podcast review? Come on get yourself to iTunes, get it moving, type a couple sentences, literally just say Judy Rocks, five stars, and I would be obsessed with you. They mean so much to me. So I thank you for reviewing. I thank you for sharing. I thank you for listening. And I thank you for spending your precious time here with me on the Yes And Airwaves until I see you right here next Wednesday. Baby, keep kicking open those doors. Let's go get them. See you next week.